Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Pax. Uh, so this week, uh, we don't have a week go end update for you, but we do have uh, our next thing we're going to be looking at. We've moved on from uh, Spider-Verse, so this week we're going to be looking at the next sort of uh, in the sequence of Spider-Gwen side stories, events, crossovers, etc., which we didn't read main read-through of Gwen's comics. The next one is Spider-Verse War Zones this time. And uh, we, we read, the Spider-Verse we read last time was Dan Slot Spider-Verse. This is a different Spider-Verse. They've made a few comics called Spider-Verse and a film, and it's getting complicated, but this one is Spider-Verse War Zones, and it's by Mike Costa with art by Andre Paruajo. Did I say that right? I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. And they uh, are on a another multiversal spider adventure, but with a much smaller, tighter cast this time. There's just five issues we're looking at with this. And it leads into Mike Costa's two trade paperback long uh, Web Warriors run, which we will be looking at in subsequent episodes. Uh, this uh, it's in a very complicated way ties into the very, very big Secret Wars event back in 2015, uh, which was done by Jonathan Hickman and Isad, Isad uh, Rubich. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we sort of, well, I guess we kind of pinpoint this as happening after the most wanted miniseries, which was the first sort of five issues of Spider-Gwen that we got in a solo title. But before Greater Power, which was her sort of 33, 34 issue ongoing, there was a big break. Marvel took an axe to every single comic they had. Um, and they said, so for a bit, we're just going to be doing tie-ins and this main comic for Secret Wars. Um, so they had lots and lots of different miniseries going on. And this was one of them. There's a huge amount of context to Secret Wars. There was a whole Avengers run which led into it, etc., etc. But basically what happens is uh, the last two realities, Earth-616 and the Ultimate Universe, all sort of collide. No, that was the last. Uh, so uh, all of the other ones have been destroyed back to that point. And it sort of seems like all is lost. But actually what happened is Doctor Doom uh, managed to get access to the power force thing that was destroying all the realities. Um, and he attempted to reconstruct them. Um, but what he ends up doing is he ends up creating this weird mishmash reality called Battle World. Um, and he's the god emperor of it, of course. And he has Thors for policemen, just Thors from everywhere. And there's a bunch of other stuff going on. There's a main plot line where they fight him and they, they sort of, they, they get the power and they, they bring back the multiverse with like a couple of minor changes, mainly burying the ultimate universe. But while all that's going on, we have this little comic, which is where we have the web warriors. They're not really called the web warriors yet, but they will be. And it's this little spider team that's dead cute, uh, made up of spider UK, spider India, spider noir, Anya Corazon, Spider-Girl, Spider-Ham, and our girl, Spider-Gwen. Um, so that's why we're reading it. Uh, Spider-Gwen gets a pretty big-ish role in this book. She has her own arc, and she's pretty cool. Um, and we'll get into how that, that sort of works out, I guess. Uh, was there anything you'd like to add, uh, Abigail? I'm just going to be honest and say that um, this is actually my first time trying to read anything Secret Wars-related. Uh, well, except for the only tie-in that I read was um, Dan Slott's Renew Your Vows run, which was also another pretty good one. Gwen wasn't there, but I liked it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, what, what I will say about this is that while there is a sort of uh, large amount of context that's sort of in the background, they had a pretty free reign with all of these. Like, the characters that you see, unless they're specifically stated so, are essentially like, this is the only time they appear, so they can sort of do whatever they want with them. Um, they can bring in as many as they want. So each of them sort of have a sort of a, as wide a scope or as narrow a scope as they want. They can sort of, they're, they're all in their own, quite literally, their own little domains. So they, they, they're allowed to make changes within those and this one is in uh, is it Arachnia. Yep, Arachnia. From what I read originally, Arachnia was known as Earth 22191, but it was recreated as Arachnia on Battleworld. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's basically an alternate New York, as far as we're concerned. It's an alternate New York with Spider Man's rogues and Spider Man and Norman Osborn, etc. And the web warriors have been displaced there. But an- another effect to Battleworld is that like, literally nobody in Battleworld really remembers the time before Battleworld. Like, everybody's amnesiac, except for like a select few in the main cast who, through various circumstances, weren't affected by the sort of brain zap that Doctor Doom performed during the whole process. Um, which is sort of something which is, is touched upon in brief here. Like, it's not totally amnesiac. Like, they know what their names are, and they just get bits and pieces from their past lives. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you could uh, you could hand wave away sort of the explanation for that as being, um, you know, they've had interdimensional experience before. This isn't new to them. That's why they're all displaced here together and all sort of have a better ability to recollect their time before than the average person does. Um, but yeah, for all intents and purposes, everybody knows Doom as God. Everybody knows the Thors as these ultra-powerful interdimension, well, inter- well, policemen across the battle world. Everybody's sort of vaguely aware of the different domains and their barons. Um, but yeah, but this one sort of stays in its own little thing. It has its own arc. We, it has its own resolution. You do not need to read the main Secret Wars event for this, which I think is, is a nice feature of a lot of the Secret Wars tie-ins. Is you, you don't actually have to read Secret Wars. Although I will say this is very good. It's a good comic. Like It promises a lot of change. It does not make many changes, but it's a nice comic. It's a good read. Um, and it's a very pretty comic as well. Like The art is fantastic but yeah like if you ever do want to read a good sort of adjacent comic to this secret wars but there's no going in that whatsoever or anything approximating that so we, we we sort of figured we didn't want to get into the sort of behemoth eight issue event of secret wars and decided to sort of stay in the spider lane for this bit should we get started on the uh, synopsis for this sorry yeah i have rented a lot i didn't realize i had this much to say about it but uh yeah let's, uh, let's get into the synopsis all right so The comic opens on a rainy night in the graveyard. Spider-Gwen observes some grave robbers led by an alternate version of the Jackal. She reflects on how she appears to be suffering some level of amnesia, unable to recall her past life on Earth-65. She quickly foils the group before moving on to her quiet place, the graves of Gwen Stacy and George Stacy in this reality. Meanwhile, Pavatia Prabhukar... Spider India stakes out a smuggling operation at the docks. He considers intervening before Billy Braddock, Spider UK, and Anya Corazon, Spider Girl, put an end to the operation. The goons note that the original Spider-Man of this reality has long since disappeared before being defeated by the Spider team. High-tech Oscorp mercenaries show up soon after, having been tipped off to the location of the spiders at the docks. Spider-Girl and Spider-UK seem initially overpowered, that is, until Spider-India finally joins the fray, and together they team up and fight off the attackers. 
Later, the three spiders discuss and catch up. They all acknowledge a sense of vague familiarity with each other and past lives, but note that they can't remember fully. Pavatir explains that his spider sense drew him to them, a web connecting multiple spider people. Gwen investigates her deceased counterpart's life in this reality. She notes that Spider-Man was present at her death, but because of his disappearance, that only leaves one other line of inquiry into her death, Green Goblin, who has been linked to currency mayor Norman Osborn. A press conference is held the day following the event at the docks. Mayor Osborn credits Oscorp personnel with foiling the criminal operation entirely and completely denies the existence of any Spider-Man. Shortly after, he bumps into Gwen, who is working under a pseudonym at Oscorp, and he praises the work that she has been doing. In the office, Gwen tries to get information on Osborn's misdeeds by sneaking into a wing of the building that is gated off for special projects. Webbing up one of the few employees allowed in or out and stealing his access card, Gwen gets into the secret area. There she discovers they have been tracking six spider totems displaced in this corner of Battleworld. Gwen pushes into the complex further, discovering Spider-Ham, unconsciously laid out on a bed with various wires and tubes plugged into him. Gwen frantically wakes him up to rescue him from the situation, but before Ham can respond, Norman appears in the doorway. Ham is quite okay with the situation and Norman offers to talk it out with Gwen. She considers the offer but decides against doing it in the Oscorp building so webs up and grabs Osborne in an attempt to kidnap him. Confronted by more high-tech Oscorp mercs, Gwen halts their attacks by throwing Norman directly at them but before she can retrieve him, stun blasts from the mercs' energy weapons knock out Ham. Between taking Norman hostage or rescuing the unconscious Spider-Ham, Gwen chooses the latter, leaving Norman behind. Norman makes sure that the mercs don't do anything lethal in their pursuit of Gwen. He wants the spiders alive. While Gwen and Ham reacquaint themselves in a safe location, the other group of spiders finds them, drawn by their spider sense. Together, they properly team up, noticing their shared powers, motifs, and desire to do unselfish good. They note a sixth spider totem detected nearby, though, and head out to go recruit them, too. Once more at the docks, a new criminal operation is in action. Supervillains Tombstone and Carnage Cletus Cassidy interrogate some hostages. The spider totems, despite seeing that Carnage could perhaps be one of their own given his spider-like appearance, decide to charge in and stop the violence. Sighing at their recklessness, the sixth spider totem reveals himself from the shadows, Spider Noir. Carnage poses more than a match for the spider totems, but Noir, from his time spent preparing and observing them from the shadows, is familiar with the symbiote's MO. He deploys a sonic device, stunning the symbiote off Cletus. This leaves the serial killer exposed long enough for Noir to open fire with his pistol at the exposed host. Gwen is dismayed at the use of lethal force, but Noir assures her that this measure merely keeps the symbiote busy and a non-threat while it heals its host wounds. The team and Noir have a tense exchange as he reveals he has been aware of their activities, having even attempted to block them from finding him using Spider-Sense due to his desire to stay solo. As they argue, a new group of Oscorp deployed villains arrives. Sandman, Electro, Vulture, Dr. Octopus, and Scorpion, all led by Craven. The Spider-Totems brace for another fight, Spider-UK noting that they are facing a much better coordinated team than their own. They put up an initially promising defense, but the villains soon combine efforts to overwhelm them, capturing the entire group. The spider totems are taken to Oscorp, where Norman attempts to build a rapport with them as he needs their help. 
The spider team are apprehensive at this, but Norman insists the villains he sent were intended to apprehend Carnage and Tombstone, not fight with spiders. Ham reveals that he even called Norman to let them know the location, considering him a friend prior to Gwen's intervention. Norman explains that the spider totems have a unique interdimensional resonance that they have been studying. They're all connected to a web structured through the universe that has seen itself reduced to tatters. The team decides to stay and assist in the Oscorp labs with the exception of Gwen, who rejects working with a, quote, a corporate psycho. They're not being held against their will at this point, so Gwen leaves. She patrols the city, fighting crime and assisting citizens before going to her quiet place at the Stacy Gravestones. There she is surprised by none other than the Peter Parker native to this reality. Gwen is apprehensive to trust him, however, noting that the Spider-Man here is supposed to be dead. Before the two can talk much further, Venom surprises them from the bushes, having been tracking Gwen at the behest of Osborne. With Peter Parker present, Venom loses control and disobeys orders, slashing at the two. Gwen pulls Peter out of the way and fells a tree on top of their symbiote attacker. Gwen swings away with Peter and indicates that they should split up to lure Venom to a much more vulnerable location, but Peter reveals that he is powerless, hence the disappearance of Spider-Man. Venom soon catches up with them. Gwen, wielding an uprooted parking meter, fends off the Parker-obsessed Venom while trying to work out a more permanent way of keeping both Peter safe and Venom fended off. Realizing the sonic weakness shared with Carnage, Gwen takes Peter and leads Venom to a music store. There she hooks up several full-volume amplifiers to one guitar, noting her unfamiliarity with this instrument before blasting the symbiote right off its host. Before Eddie can get up, Peter knocks him out with a sudden right hook. Gwen notes that Venom will fail to check in with Norman and thus alert him to their knowledge of his deception. Gwen comes up with a new plan where Peter will send a video message directly to Oscorp to get him to meet them on their terms. Back at Oscorp, Billy and Pavetier assist directly with the research efforts while Anya and Ham, having less expertise in this area, attempt to push through their existential dread by taking advantage of the Oscorp buffet. Ham passingly mentions that Norman may have aspirations of grandeur, with some kind of secretive throne room, which Anya insists they look into. Norman shortly receives the message from Peter and freaks out, leaving the spider totems behind to rally his team of employed villains, suiting up once more as the Green Goblin. This leaves the team free to be alerted by Anya and Ham to the situation of the throne room. There they find the Siege Perilous hooked up to conduits designed to channel the energies of the interdimensional web. Their presence near it causes it to preemptively start working somewhat. This act of interdimensional blasphemy draws the ire of one of God Doom's Thor enforcers. The group attempts to reason with her as Thor wields Mjolnir to great effect against them and the technology which they are so suspiciously near. Norman arrives at Peter and Gwen's chosen location, the Brooklyn Bridge, villains and mercenaries in tow. Peter clarifies that the dead Spider-Man, one killed by Norman, was in fact his clone, Ben Riley, who took over after his power loss. He throws himself at Norman from the bridge. After some brief grappling with his old arch-nemesis and an attempt to swing away with no spider strength, Peter is soon apprehended by Norman. The goblin gloats for a moment before realizing the ruse. While Peter distracted Norman, Gwen snuck back to Osbcorp to shut down the operation and warn the others only to stumble on the attack from Thor. The spider struggled to even get close to her, let alone dodge all her attacks. 
Spider UK notes that it's a losing battle and affirms that they should convince Doom's enforcer that they are in fact no threat to Doom by attempting to destroy the Siege Perilous and the Conduits. The resulting explosion warps space around them before exploding through a whole floor in the building. It knocks out the spiders and Thor, but was unsuccessful in destroying the primary components of Norman's machine. With all the spiders present and unconscious, he can begin his dark machinations. Arrested by Norman's hired thugs, Peter is led through the Oscorp building before being rescued by Ham, who is knocked in his direction by a Thor attack earlier before the larger blast. Norman goes to use the Siege Perilous, but Peter sabotages it in time, using the hand of the unconscious Thor to short-circuit the conduit. Osborne's brain is left cooked and unconscious by the event. His villains soon show up to contest their victory, but lose confidence upon seeing the god-level machinery at the spider's disposal, not realizing its state of disrepair. The spiders note that with Osborne defeated and exposed for who he is, Oscorp and its accompanying police infrastructure will collapse, thus allowing anarchy to develop. The spiders vow to share the responsibility and use their powers to protect the people of the domain. Lovely. That's been Spider-Verse. Warzones. Kind of a uh, unique story, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, that team is, it's sort of, in what sense? In what sense? If I were to give this a genre for a movie or maybe like a TV show, I would say spy thriller. Um, I mean, I think it's, uh, I would put it more as a sort of, I mean, it's, it's obviously superhero fiction, but in a sort of, in, in a sci-fi thing, there's, there's not too many spies in this. I mean, I guess Spider-Noir is spying a lot. And Gwen did mention that, like, she's been studying Oscorp for weeks undercover. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite interesting that Costa's quite keen to sort of flesh out Gwen as a detective type, which was, I, I think, fitting, I guess. Oh, um, police captain's daughter, remember? Right, yeah, they like, they like to sort of visit that for occasional character beats for Gwen, which I think sort of works. I thought she was quite cool in this. Um, I, I have maybe like issues with Costa's writing of Spider Gwen further down the line, but here he sort of he does manage to blend the angst with the the sort of um, sort of coolness that comes with the character quite well. I thought the uh, the whole like she, she has a really good sort of anti-establishment streak throughout all of this. Like she's the she ends up being the sort of the moral. Like she, she makes the right moral calls out of the group. She's vindicated in the end uh, with Norman. Um, like she doesn't like his corporate vibe. She doesn't like the fact that he killed her as well. Like that whole team is like, yeah, we should totally work with this guy who killed you. Which was like, I mean, a team of spiders that all happen to have just not had Norman Osborn's to distrust. Um, so unfortunate that. And yeah, like I thought that was quite. It's quite cool. It's sort of it, it's it's a cool Spider Gwen, and she has she has a neat little part to play in this in in this book here. And I made this little note here when you were talking about how Costa wrote Gwen. Like, didn't she seem a little bit perkier than what Latour wrote her? Definitely in Web Warriors. Definitely in Web Warriors. I think I think you could make the argument that she is quite. She has some angstier moments in this, but yeah. Yeah, she's definitely she's definitely a bit more upbeat than than the Latour Gwen. Um, and the thing is, like at this point in time, you've got to remember, like there's been very very little Spider Gwen comics. Like there's been Edge of Spider Verse number two. There's been the appearances we went through in Spider Verse the last couple of episodes, and of course there's been 
I mean, how should we say, um, like this mini series that they sort of cut short here? But I like, I have to wonder, like, how much of this was written before even that was out? Like, like his cost to getting the memo from Latour? Like, he sort of had to sort of create a lot of these characters from scratch. I, I think, uh, particularly Spider UK as well, who didn't have too many comics before this point. He's sort of picking up a lot of characters that are, that are a bit a bit disused at this point, um, with the exception of Gwen, who's just not had a lot of chance to, to be used um, and, and having to sort of work out characterizations for them. But I do think it becomes more egregious in the main Web Warriors comic. Here, it's not so bad yet. I don't think I quite enjoy Gwen here. She has good good vibe. Earlier when you said that she's um the moral compass of the team, like, do you think that's actually what her established role on the team is? Um, I'm trying to to call back because obviously we're going to be reading Web Warriors, um, <laughs> like for War Zones intents and purposes. Yeah, um, I mean, I think they all sort of have a bit of a moral thing to play, but I think the way they establishes it establish it is is sort of Spider UK and Anya are sort of the leaders, right? Spider India is the brains, and Spider Ham I think is sort of relegated to comic relief mostly, and Spider Noir tends to get a lot more of the sort of I guess he's the he he's the more conservative member of the group. He's the more sort of you know we this this thing that needs to be done. It has to be done. We have to do the thing to like we have to take these sort of more violent things to get the job done and that. Yeah, he's the pragmatic uh, person on the team. Yeah, he's he's wait he's the Spider Man Dark at least he's the you know true to his name. But yeah, which sort of leaves Gwen as sort of the more I I guess she she becomes more of the audience's. She's the audience's eyes and ears into war zones. Yeah, she gets the most solo action out of the group. Gwen does the most stuff. She gets the most, I think, lines. She gets the most things to do. So it's sort of that she she sort of becomes the de facto protagonist in that sense, and and she ends up making a lot of the. Well, she is the first spider to show up in the book. Yeah, she's the first spider to show up in the book. Uh, she's the only spider who properly recognizes Norman for what he's doing. She's the one that calls out Noir when he shoots Cletus. She's the one who indicates that they have to share responsibility at the end and such. And did you kind of notice how um, how Gwen's attitude in, around Noir is? Uh, like she accused him of being a racist. Yeah, I, I, he, he's, he's, he says. He he does he does have a moment which Costa gives him where he he comes off as quite ignorant at least in that sense where he's he sort of sees Spider India and he he says a rather like just sort of insensitive comment and yeah I just that was a decision that was made because yeah the line was who are you other than being a thief a killer and the big racist yeah yeah because that that comes uh, yeah uh, so yeah it's um. Spider Noir has some good moments in this, but I don't, I don't know if that panel was it. That just prior to that point, uh, where he's he's sort of commenting to Spider India, it was kind of unfair. But yeah, like Gwen has the sort of the most sort of moments where she dwells on, are they doing the right thing? And yeah, I I like that role for her. I think that's a, it's an interesting role for her because I think for all of Gwen, like Gwen maybe makes a lot of missteps. Maybe here, maybe not necessarily here, but generally speaking. Um, but she does she does often have a really good sense of I guess justice, like what's fair and what's not fair and such. And that comes through here, whether or not she's making the right calls in accordance with with her gut um, is, is a wholly different thing. Like she has a moment where she's like, I just do random things sometimes. Like I just break things. Like when she just breaks a random window at one point, it's like, yeah, 
Because I think UK mentioned in his inner dialogue that Gwen relies more on instinct rather than just thinking it through. Yeah, and I and I think this is a, is a pretty recurring thing for Gwen is uh, maybe just as being a newer character, but it, but it is a sort of recurring character trait for her where she is a sort of um, it's raw, uh, a raw a talent. She isn't refined in her fighting, in her approach, socially speaking, in her uh, drumming, in her sort of moral stances that she takes. She's often got a lot of sort of she's quite reckless with those things. She's very out there and she's unpracticed in a lot of things i think um which is the sense you get here i think one of the few times where she actually thinks things through was when she mentioned how she's been spying on osborne and his company for weeks ever since she got this decision to google herself she posed as miss woodley just to observe like all of the employees schedules and seems to notice that there's something special behind that door yeah, and and the thing is, like they 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 make a really big thing of it, and they sort of hype it up, but then it sort of becomes it becomes set up for a punchline, basically, where uh, she ends up having to use brute force to get in anyway. Like they have this whole thing where it's like I used a protractor to work out the right angles to walk along this wall, so I won't be spotted by the cameras, and then it is immediately seen by the person she's trying to steal the key card off. So you've had like two or three pages of it talking about about how stealthy Gwen is before, then immediately showing you you how how sort of how how far she got before it was not enough like she said that she was spying on them for weeks and yet needs to use a protractor yeah i'm not i'm not sure how that that works with the camera stuff but yeah that that's that's what ends up happening is like uh she she has this big plan to sneak into the Ells court building and just ends up brute forcing it anyway after she gets found out so it's like yeah um i think there was a lot of moments like that where it's like gwen is you know she's often falling short in a few areas in which which perhaps you wouldn't expect from somebody like spider noir who comes across as very uh very very experienced and 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 efficient in his methodology which is why i think there's a lot of friction there perhaps but you know her interactions of ham early on were cute because remember before uh war zones and after spider-verse the main event sometimes she would hallucinate him during most wanted yeah, it's quite funny that like now that she actually sees him in the flesh, she doesn't actually have the memory recall to remember that she like often hallucinates him anyway. So yeah, like yeah, they they have an interesting dynamic, Gwen and Ham do, just purely grown out of the fact that like Gwen is like really stressed and really like suspicious of Norman, while Ham is so cool with Norman. He's completely fine with Oscorp, completely fine with all of this stuff going off while Gwen is just there stressing about it, like, I need to rescue you, and he'll get you out of here, and he's like, um, um, what, what, um, and it ends up with, yeah, like, he do- he doesn't even pick up on, like, the mad scientist stuff that Norman's doing properly either, like, Ham is completely, but and, and I, oblivious, like, and they draw a lot of attention from that between, I think, like, Ham and some of the other characters, particularly Gwen, um, in his, just his pure optimism for what Norman is doing. I think this is mostly because Ham, even though we didn't talk about it in the synopsis, there is this short story at the end of issue number one about how Ham got recruited into Oscorp. And like he kind of saw Norman as his, what, his third big break? Yeah, like you get the sense that Ham's been in the sort of through the ringer before getting to this point where he can kind of just chill in Oscorp and eat buffet food and sleep which is kind of the kind of the dream for him to be fair 
well, he's a pig, or at least according to him, a higher uh, life form of pig than all the other regular pigs. Yes. Yeah, no, he's... um. He's distinguished. There's this gag that I think is probably like written completely independently of each other, which I keep seeing in Spider-Ham appearances where they have him eat a, a pork-based product and have another character react to this and him just not care. Yeah, Gwen asked if it was cannibalism since he was eating a barbecue rib pork sandwich or something. Yeah, like he's eating pork, and Gwen's like, "Oh my days, you're like you're like some kind of cannibal," and and then and then Ham is is like he he's completely under the impression that apparently humans eat monkeys as well. So he's like, "It's it's fine, you know. If you eat monkeys, I can eat these lower form pigs." And like, which is, I, I thought I, I think that's probably one of the funnier versions of that joke, which does appear a couple of times again, seemingly independent of each other in Spider Ham appearances. There's a Web Warriors cover which references a similar thing. There's a hallucination of Spider-Ham which eats corn dogs at one point in the Spider-Gwen comics and they have a similar thing. Like this joke has been done three times and that's that's me off the top of my head right now. I think there's even this um animated short parallel to Into the Spider-Verse called um I can't remember the name, but anyway, it's like John Mulaney's Spider-Ham again and he's trying to get a hot dog. I remember this. So there's Into the Spider-Verse as well. Yeah, so it's... This is a recurring gag. This is this is something people love to do, is to have Spider-Ham eat pork-based products and make a joke out of it. And yeah, it's a bit... It's a bit mad. Um, yeah, no, uh, But yeah, he's uh, he's quite... Yeah, he's quite charming in this. I, Spider-Ham is definitely the, the most endearing. He has a really nice moment with Anya where he's just like, you know, like just kind of... You just kind of chill, you know. You just got to like just take a moment for yourself and enjoy the buffet. Um, and I think there's something in that, you know. Like you can get really wired over stuff that you can't do much about. But if there's a, you know, just just take take time for oneself is, uh, you know, like it's a nice thing. Like um, there is a sort of healthy way I think in which Ham sort of look at the world is is shown here. I think it's mostly because everyone seems to underestimate Ham. Remember when uh, everyone first met him at first Spider India was like, is that swine talking? And then yeah. um, when uh, UK was making notes out of all of his teammates, uh, the caption in their dialogue for Ham, it just says pig. Yeah, like what is this the make of Spider-Ham? Like, I, I, I wonder if you made this decision here, editorial or Mike Costa, for this sort of team of interdimensional spider heroes to have the pig on it, the like, cartoon pig as well. Like he's a cartoon cartoon. Like like he in in that he can't be hurt. Like he's a Looney Tunes character or something. Like even UK said that he's expecting an anvil to fall on him. Yeah, and and this is something we see exaggerated when he was adapted for Into the Spider Verse, where they have him like he does all kinds of Looney Tunes type stuff like with weapons and such. But here it's mostly uh, it's mostly just reduced to he can get hit real hard and it won't hurt him permanently. Like you'll just it's just a sort of blunt force trauma. Because Thor just slugged him across the room, and then they're like, "Oh my god, she just killed Ham." <laughs> It's, yeah, it's quite funny because it's like, yeah, like this is like very last minute revelation that he's just completely invincible um, and it gets zero actual play. Like it just, he just immediately gets knocked out of the fight for the rest of the fight there. Um, so it was like, it was, it was a bit of a useless revelation there. I can't remember if, if they use it more in the Web Warriors stuff. Oh, we're going to get to it like anyway in the next read, but like all yeah. in all, yeah. 
Ham's role on the team is the comic relief because I think every team usually has one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, yeah, which which is fine. I think that's fine. Like it's a nice role for him, and he does have heart and stuff, so it's it's okay. So we can say that yeah, Gwen's the moral. Spider Ham is the comic relief. Yeah, yeah. We should probably say that. Um, let's move on to Spider UK. He's the actual leader of the team. That's his role. Yeah. Um. I so so they they sort of took the decision to have Spider UK be sort of like in charge of the Web Warriors. Like long term, this is a thing they push. And frankly, uh, speaking from experience, I'm not really sure they should be putting the British in charge of anything. <laughs> um. But but they they are here. Um. And um. Yeah. He's yeah. So he has no spider sense like at all. Like no. No, he was bitten by a radioactive spider because when everyone was sharing their stories on how they got powers, Gwen was the first one to share saying that she got bit and then Billy said, me too. So maybe the spider didn't give him everything. Maybe. Or maybe it's a Spider-Verse specific thing, like specific to this comic. Uh, or alternatively, because his Earth has been destroyed in an incursion like very early on, uh, maybe that severed some of his connections to the web of life and destiny and he's not able to like well everyone on the team's reality was destroyed and their spider sense was still working albeit a little bit sluggish right but very much more recently like because is it earth 833 like that got destroyed way back in spider-verse like it's been it's been dead for a long time and it continues to be i think if i recall correctly in the web warriors comics so which isn't the case for the other spiders like for them it was a temporary thing for him it's a very permanent like his his home is lost his core is lost his england is lost right like this is that's his tragic backstory when he's not completely amnesiac so is it the case that like if your reality is destroyed then you're like strand on a web of life and destiny that keeps you sort of plugged into the prophetic stuff uh which allows you spider senses uh is just disabled right like is it not is it not functioning i guess yeah i don't know i guess we'll see it in the web warriors comic whether or not that keeps up but for all intents and purposes here he's completely reliant on on anya to provide him with spider sense heads ups and and stuff because it seems like Anya's kind of more qualified to lead than Billy does yeah i I think this is an interesting decision to take spider girl in and having her become completely loyal and sort of in complete deference to spider uk and like i think it's nice that they're friends but it does seem kind of one-sided a lot of the time like she's this like very very loyal deputy to billy uh which isn't i think the fairest of characterizations like they could have done more with spider girl they really could have done especially when they've like they've just brought in spider gwen and they're giving her like all of the stuff here like they could have given spider girl maybe a bit more to work with in this in this book perhaps Oh, there is that moment where, like, she confides in Ham about, like, she thinks that she should be doing more because she feels out of place with everyone else. Yes, I really like that moment. And it sort of, yeah, like, it it comes through well. And, yeah, I I guess maybe she just needed a couple more moments like that where she's reflecting on her role in the team and her um, position. But we mostly sort of just get a lot of captions where she's singing Billy's praises and sort of very much attaching Spider-Girl to Spider-UK for the foreseeable future, really, in, in the comic books. But I feel like, um, wait, who do you think is older, Gwen or Anya? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
But they like, I feel like they're the same age ish. The same. So yeah, then that means like Anya is every bit as qualified to lead the Web Warriors as Gwen would or uh, as Spider UK would. But yeah, Anya is more leadership material. Yeah, I think she's definitely more invested, at least in in the sort of the sustaining the team, whereas Gwen is definitely more on the on the edges of it. Like she's off doing her own thing far more than Anya is. Like Anya and Spider UK like have always been teamed up. They've always been collaborating. They've always wanted to have a team, whereas the other ones perhaps needed to sort of be brought on board. At least Ham, Gwen, and Noir did. So, like, as somebody who's more invested in sort of the long-term health of the team, it sort of makes sense if if she sort of took on more of a role within it. But again, they don't they don't have too much of that here, and you know, I'd like to see more of that going further down the line. Well, I did call Anya the heart of the team now, which I think about it out loud because her last name Corazon means heart in Spanish. Oh, nice. That's cool. I like that. So, yeah, it's kind of like a pun if you think about it to call Anya the heart of the team. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I like that. She's, uh, I guess we'll see how they develop this character further. A lot of this stuff here is set up, I feel. A lot of it is set up for later down the line in the Web Warriors comics. And even after Web Warriors, the only time that Anya shows up, I think is uh, Last Remains, and then she gets utilized much more in Kelly Thompson's Black Widow. Yes, yeah, I've been meaning to read that. I, I um, Yeah, I've, I've, I've only heard good things about that run. Since we got the heart of the team out of the way, well, we got Spider India, who is like the brains. Yeah, so they've given Spider India a very uh, sort of intellectual type role. Um, he tends to think through a lot of the things he's doing, not necessarily in a preparation way, but in a more of a like he gets called on overthinking a couple of times, even, um, but in a very deliberate way. And 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 he's a, he's sort of applying the scientific method to everything he's doing, uh, including using um, the web to like track the other spider heroes like he's he's using a tablet that he's like programmed to track spider send signatures and stuff and he has all these different gadgets and stuff that he's creating sort of assist um yeah like he's doing a lot because i think he he's the only scientist on the team because you know gwen's the musician spider uk like he's practically an interdimensional policeman would you say um i haven't read enough captain britain stuff but he, he is often framed that way isn't he yeah, and then you got, you know, Ham, who's just an essentially, he's a food blogger, and Anya's the college student, and then Spider-Man Noir, the detective. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like there could be more of an ideological bent for Noir, but they don't they don't lean into it too much. They hint at it a bit at the end. Like, I called him a more conservative character, but he really isn't. Um, he's, especially in his, in his own comics, right? Like, he's, he fights Nazis and stuff. Uh, he's, um, he, he, he mentions you know, having anarchy and stuff, uh, which, which is, you know, might you know, a nice, uh, a nice sort of <laughs> nod to his sort of politics there. And the fact that they essentially they spent the bulk of this, um, this team here, yeah, they, yeah, but like, uh, yeah, I, I feel like there's more to do with this team, and they want to do more with the team than they do in the five issues here, because we sort of we have what have seven spiders here that they're trying to flesh out, and I, I feel in a couple of points, it's that, six spiders. Yeah, well, I mean, including... Um, oh, Mayday later on? Well, including Peter Parker 22191, who's here, who, who gets a fair bit of play. Oh, yeah, true. Um, yeah, so there's sort of like seven spider people. And then, and then of course, like you say, they bring in Mayday in the Web Warriors ongoing. 
So yeah, like they're they're setting up a lot of spiders, and I, I guess they do have to kind of like pick and choose who who gets an arc and who gets a moment and who gets this and who gets that. But yeah, it does feel on a couple of points that like like they could have a greater role on the team, but they yet to flesh it out. I think it's because, you know, since this is their first team up proper, like that wasn't Spider-Verse, the main event. They're still trying to figure out how to get along with each other since they don't know each other's tactics. They're practically dysfunctional when you first meet them. Yeah, I like that. Like their first fight together doesn't go well. And that makes sense. And I think speaks to sort of a long term approach to the way they're doing this. They want to provide us with a sort of satisfying um, development of this team. And as a starting point, they're setting them up as being quite haphazard in their approach and disorganized and coordinated. And it's nice because because not only do we see them grow quite a bit during this, but we will get to see them grow over the course of the next two um, episodes that we're reading stuff for. So, yeah, it's um, it's nice. But if you were to rank their dysfunctionality on a scale of 1 to 10, that 1 being it's fine, and then 10, it's like a one big hot mess, where would you rank them? I mean, it's going to be a 7, right? Like, they're messing up a lot here. Like, they, they sort of fluke it a bit at the end there. So a 7. So not quite a hot mess, but they're dangerously close. Like, if, if it wasn't for, like, Peter being in the right place at the right time with that hand of Thor then it's possible that this would have gone a completely different way in terms of their efficiency and like effectiveness and what they're doing. Obviously, I realize they probably wouldn't have let that happen at a creative level, but but in terms of what they're showing us here in the comic, that the sort of how it looks a little bit. Yeah, this version of Peter, it seems like that he's the one that's supposed to make them come to their senses because, well, because he is the retired spider, so... Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he is. He's um, and he knows Osborne the best. Yeah, he does, and it's it's nice when he shows up. Like it, it feels earned by the story. Like they've been sort of building up to whatever happened to the Spider-Man in this reality, and to actually see Peter Parker and and have like a non-powered one. Like what would what would a retired non-powered Peter Parker, his relationship with Norman Osborne and Venom and all that be like? Still, I thought it was quite interesting that they got into that aspect of him. Like I think I would consider Peter the Web Warrior some. Like their secret seventh Power Ranger. Yeah, he's um, yeah, he sort of comes out of nowhere, and and he 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 sort of carries his weight to the best of his ability. Like, um, he, you know, he he does the the decoy thing for Gwen, um, and of course he he sort of comes in and assists the team at the Siege Perilous. You know, he does stuff with the little bit of time he has here, and he he shows himself willing to sort of continue sacrificing himself, even though. Uh, he is, for all intents and purposes, not superpowered, really, at all. I'm just wondering how he lost his powers in this reality. Like, did he just willingly choose to strip himself of his powers, or did they just wane out? Yeah, it's uh, a good question. Um, I get the impression that, like, it's maybe one of the many depowered Peter Parker stories. Like, in just one of those he didn't get his powers back at the end of it and like we're picking up a reality from that point onwards because there's, there's a few of those right where peter like loses his powers right because i feel like it's implied that this peter gave up on being spider-man and then just gave it to ben after gwen died yeah that's possible because norman was never held accountable there is that there is that um i do think there has to have been some reason for him to lose his powers though i think that's the catalyst there and it probably had to have happened after, because it's implied that a clone saga happened here since Ben was mentioned. Yeah, so they, they would have gotten a, a little bit of the way along, I think, after maybe Gwen's death before he called it quits. 
Yeah, he probably must have quit after Ben took up the mantle just because he mentioned that he's got a wife and family to take care of. Yeah, it's possible he settled down with MJ. It's possible that she didn't have a miscarriage or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's nice. I like seeing happy retired versions of Peter Parker. I think that's nice. In main continuity now, please. Um, yeah. But then when you get around to reading Jerry Conway, Ryan Stegman, and Jody Hauser's Renew Your Vows, you could see another side of, like, what if, what if they were all a super-powered family? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's dead cute. I love that. That's nice. It's a good sort of thing to play around with. I, I think I think there is a sort of what what it comes from. I think and the existence of all these new Spider People is there's sort of I think I guess a general fatigue with a lot of the Peter Parker status quo at the moment in like main Spider Man comics, um, which is why you have like all these alt realities where he's retired or he's a dad or he's sort of like semi retired, and you have these new legacy characters popping up after him. It's all sort of a part of I think like where people like having a street level superhero with a great power great responsibility mantra but also they want to see a sort of complete arc for pete so, so there's a sort of a dissonance there because obviously pete's been around for so long which is why why you do have like newer characters coming along and a little bit of a push to maybe see if if they can retire pete i think it seems like um asking for too much for a peter parker who can have it all yeah i i think there's another aspect to it, of it is like Whenever a new writer gets their hands on Peter Parker, and at least the main comics, they just make him suffer. They just make they just make him put him through the ringer. I think the only Peter Parker I think who has it all is uh in the nineteen ninety four animated series, there's an alternate version of Peter where uh he wears spider armor, he's engaged to Gwen, and his uncle Ben is still alive. Wow, that's the dream. But I think in comics that's asking for too much. Yeah, I don't think we'll get that. That one's a bit, perhaps, a little, little bit too optimistic, that one. Yeah, but anyway, like, yeah, it's in the 1994 animated series, I think. That was actually the series finale where that Spider-Man appears. They did, like, they did like a little Spider-Verse thing? Yeah, because there was a, a, a two-parter series finale where some alternate Peter Parkers have to come together to stop Spider-Carnage from destroying the multiverse. Oh, wow. That's fun. Yeah, no, I I forget how long they've been doing Spider-Verse stories for. Like, It's been a long time they've been doing Spider-Verse stories for. Like, the only adaptation of, uh, obviously before the movie, the previous Spider-Verse like, uh, adaptation was Ultimate Spider-Man, where they did it twice. Yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man. Looks that cartoon you mentioned. Uh, there was that one game. Like, it's it's something they like to adapt. Like, you know, it's it happens. Or if you want to get real creative uh, in the video game, Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2. Even that, yeah. Nice. Oh, instead of Battleworld, it's Chronopolis because uh, Kang is the leader. Right, I see. And Gwen's a main character in it. Okay, I need to play it. It's on Switch. Nice. Okay, yeah, no, I'll look into that. I think it's, it's, it's a nice, it's an interesting uh, way of approaching the spider-man characters through the spider-verse thing i do worry that there's going to be like fatigue with it like i'm worried about no way home and other stuff that maybe they've maybe gone with the the multiple spider-man thing maybe one too many times and it's becoming a bit gimmicky but i guess we'll, we'll see how it goes yeah the poster just came out for a no way home where it shows you know doc ox tentacles goblin in the background electro's lightning and what seems to be sandman's sand yeah, I saw that. You know, I was just, I was just relieved to have an MCU Spidey poster that looked um, not bad. 
Um, yeah. But I'm just wondering, yeah, out of those villains, who's actually the top dog? Yeah, I'd be interested to see what they do with that. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see how that goes. But yeah, anyway, back to the comic. Uh, we got, yeah, Norman Osborn here. Yeah, Norman in this is uh, interesting. Like, if I feel like he's mellowed sort of since killing Gwen. Like, he's, uh, or at least his narrative focus position now is, is to try and take on Emperor Doom, which, you know, sort of, I guess, makes sense. Like, he's he's recognized that Doom is all-powerful, and he's trying to tap into the same sort of energies which gave Doom that so that he can, he can take it for himself. But yeah, like, in the process, he's much nicer. Like, he's not... Like, I mean, obviously he's a bad dude, but he's not, like, green goblining out. Like, when he puts on the outfit, you know, he's still kind of... No, but it was mentioned by Ham that sometimes he enters episodes of sub-psychotic rage. Yeah, maybe that's it. But, like, what we saw from here, like, he, you, you, you almost, like, until the very last, like, couple of issues, like, it, it doesn't... You, you sort of ambiguous on whether or not he actually is evil. Um, are they actually going to go that direction with him, or are they going to sort of try and go for something a bit different? But yeah, no, like it does end up confirming that he is indeed evil. They do have this whole thing where he's, I guess they kind of do, trying to do some kind of commentary on having this billionaire becoming mayor of New York um, and then using that position to issue out like private contracts to businesses he's linked with uh, for police work, which is terrifying. Like, is it, like conceptually speaking, that is like the, like the awful capitalist nightmare i think for that to happen what that the city is practically run by oscorp yeah yeah and i find it very interesting that like the conclusion here is that they essentially sort of de- decapitate that whole system by taking out norman osborne here and they, they they get rid of the police infrastructure and like the nice and good happy ending of this of this comic here is is them defeating the police which I mean, I'm here for it. I'm on board with it. Um, <laughs> I just, it was a very radical ending, um, which I enjoyed. Um, it was very because Norman's reward for doing all of this brain damage. Oh yeah, they really fry his brains at the end. It's very funny as well. Like it seems like he might have the upper hand for a moment, and then it cuts to the next panel, and his eyes go <laughs> sideways, and he's been electrocuted. And you're like, oh, save the day. But yeah. Like even Gwen makes a like a remark about it that we that even though that we exposed Norman for who he really is, we gave him brain damage. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah. I I guess there was no way around it. Like he brought his, you know, he's he's putting on this big helmet which is attached to like exposed conduits. You know, I I don't think he was meeting health and safety regulations to begin with. To be honest, in his attempt to try and take over the world, I think you know, he was too focused on trying to overthrow Doom that he forgot to protect himself. Yeah, he did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he. he I like that it was his own his own madness got the better of him there at the end. Uh, but yeah, that was an interesting Norman Osborn. Doesn't everyone's madness get the better of them? Yes, definitely. Mine gets the better of me multiple times every day. That's for sure. But yeah, yeah, I don't think this Norman Osborn was subverting too many expectations, but I, I don't think they were trying to do that with him. He was, yeah, he was, he was fine. And I'm thinking, like, do you think he just used Oscorp's money to cover up Gwen's death? I guess he must have. Like, like it's implied that, like, Green Goblin was linked to Norman Osborn, but they didn't make it stick, uh, which is why he's, you know, he's capable of continuing to run Oscorp and being the New York City mayor. And being the baron of this domain, apparently, as well. Like, I'm just wondering who died and made Norman baron. 
Well, apparently the multiverse <laughs> died, so... No, who did Norman kill and make Norman Barons? Um, you know, he's... Um, the appointment process for Barons, I, I didn't... It didn't strike me as one that was rooted in, like, fairness and uh, or, or elections or, like, consensus and stuff. Like, it seems like they just sort of... I think some people um, in the other Secret Wars tie-ins, they appoint themselves as Barons, for example... Uh, there's actually a Spider Island tie-in in in which the Spider Queen was successful in her campaign. Yes. But uh, when she died, Peter just appointed himself Baron after Flash sacrificed himself. Yeah, I read that. That was that was a good one. That was a good tie-in. I enjoyed that one. They do other stuff with that. They they make a whole like monsterverse. So like they have some people who have the Spider Island serum. They have some people who have the Werewolf by Night thing. They have some people who have the Morbius serum, um, and so they have this sort of like Halloween sort of type New York. It's very fun. So I guess people can make themselves the barons or baronesses of the uh, dimension. Like, look what happened last week with Pirate Queen Jess. Yeah, there is that. I think I think a lot a lot of it is um, is either like everybody lets you do it or you do it by force. I, I don't think like reading it like Doom has a very sort of like. Like it's a very fascistic respect of um of like violence and duels and fighting and strength which comes through in a lot of the secret wars comics which like yeah like it doesn't it, I, I did not get the impression that like norman was elected baron by any means by any stretch of the imagination so yeah he probably just made himself baron or i don't know is there a domain where they just pulled somebody's name out of a hat and then they're just baron or baroness I'm trying to remember, but I don't. I can't recall any off the top of my head. I was joking. Right, of course. That makes sense. But, like, yeah, if you think about it, a domain where someone is in power just because it was their name pulled out of a hat. Right, yeah, that's that's a bit mad. It's a bit mad. And I'm just wondering, like, um, if there is a, a decision why Oscorp is spelt with a Z here, because it's not the wizard. Yeah, it was strange to me why they did that, because, because like, Osborne is spelt, yeah. I guess it must be like, I guess it must be on Mike Costa there, um, and the editors sort of let him do it because it's not a canonical Oscorp. It's not too too bad, I guess. Cause yeah, cause if I see Oz spelt like that, I'm thinking, oh, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, it sort of throws you for a moment. Oh, if you think about it, like the Wizard rules Oz, Norman r- rules New York, well, Arachnia in general. So this is true. This is true. And he doesn't grant wishes. No, he's not granting anybody's wishes, I don't think, in this. Um, yeah, he sucks. <laughs> I'm just wondering, is it, um, was he the inspiration for uh, Spider-Man PS4's Mayor Norman Osborn? Um, I'm not sure, actually. I don't... I, I, I would hesitate to say that they've read Spider-Verse Warzones, but he's, he's not that out of the line with, I think, like a standard sort of Norman Osborn that another Mayor Norman Osborn wouldn't resemble this, basically. Does that make sense? Yeah. And even though I didn't put it in the notes here because I thought it was minor, like, we got some of the villains here. Yeah, like, I noticed this. They they cram this with Spider-Man's rogues gallery, but then they do this thing where they make them not as powerful. <laughs> like, a lot, a lot of these are, like, really big villains, but the way they sort of, they sort of haphazardly throw them all in here. And then they just um, surrendered after Spider India bluffed about the chair. Yeah, it was so strange to see like Spider Noir just so easily dispatch Carnage, knowing that you know he's Carnage, right? Like, 
I don't know. There was there was a couple of moments I was reading this, and I'm like, they they didn't like they have Jacqueline at the start. Like they they could have just had like regular thugs or some kind of like new recurring thug or whatever if they needed to give um, some character lines and such. But yeah, no, they they sort of have yeah like a very shallow approach to I think the other villains and like how easy it was to get Electro on their side. Yeah, like the well, I guess Electro was just kind of terrified of this all powerful Thor running about. I think it's because, uh, you know, the team saved his life and then they're just using him just to uh, take out Thor. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I, I saw that. And I thought it was quite funny. They have this whole setup where, like, they have to convince Electro that he can do it and then he can't. Like, I was, it was quite funny. That was, that was on Gwen as, again as well there. Well, because, you know, if you think about it, the, the team's asking him to take out a god of thunder and he's just a man with electricity powers. Yeah, yeah, they put a lot on him there, and he got tapped for it. So, yeah, poor Electro. But then again, he is Electro, so not too much love lost. But you know, you're trying to fight lightning with lightning. You know, like something's gonna, someone's gonna be outmatched. Yeah, yeah. Considering that this Thor can actually just absorb Electro's lightning with her Mjolnir. Yeah. I, I thought I mean I mean that makes sense like like should be like a ba- it'd be like being charged up like it'd be like a battery situation. I think what was their plan? Try to overcharge her just so like uh she'll lose it. Yeah, I I don't think they were thinking it through. I think it's just I have a plan. Attack. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of having a plan of attack, it yeah they're just replying. I have a plan. Attack. Right. Yeah. Basically. But I feel like Thor's inclusion was just so random. Yeah, and it, it, that that I I would guess is a weakness of this comic here, because up until that point, it sort of felt like you could put it together from context, what was happening, and you didn't need too much of the Secret Wars stuff. But the sudden appearance of one of the Thorin forces, um, yeah, like you say, it's it seems really random. But it does make con- sense in the context of Norman Osborn is trying to usurp Emperor Doom's power, and Emperor Doom has lots of Thors to send that will notice this, so they do, and hence that's what happens there. But you don't really get any of that unless you're not reading the main Secret Wars. If I remember correctly, wasn't is it wasn't Jane a spy to uh like to spy on the Thor Corps? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because like yeah, like they send in Jane Foster Thor. Um, yeah, they have. I think I think the Thors have. They have. They have a detective tie-in series, is what I think. To Secret Wars, where Jane's maybe in that as well. Um, but yeah, like they have a whole thing with the Thors. I think they're very interesting how they use them. But yeah, like they're they're essentially just very very powerful, uh, omnipresence police that pop up. But this was essentially like an act of blasphemy against God Emperor Doom, right? Like with this this chair thing. Um, so one had to be dispatched and that's why it sort of shows up in that way and so suddenly and so randomly in the book here i'm thinking of doom's thought process of like out of all variants of characters to choose as police he chooses thor's yeah um because there's definitely more cop type characters like thor's more of a cosmic character he's hardly a cop well, well, they're gods not the god of hammers but maybe like thunder's just more intimidating yeah right exactly it's just like that one episode of uh what if party prince thor he had to use his powers to convince everyone to help him clean up yeah that was funny i enjoyed that well i think thunder and lightning intimidate everyone so 
Absolutely, yeah. No, I I think um there there's a presence to the Thor here that I found quite fun, like that she is this unstoppable force that um they they have to sort of try and like appease before like they're okay. I thought that was an interesting use of the the rules laid down by what Hickman was doing in the main title. And all it took to take her out was just the siege perilous malfunctioning. Basically, yeah. Like that explosion there was all that really I think could stun a Thor for long enough as they have here. They're throwing everything they have at her and she's not phased one bit until everything just warped. Yeah, right. So um, is that pretty much everything before moving on to final everything that we had to say about war zones? I, I feel like I've got a couple of points about the art here. It's not great. It's n- It's not great. I think some of the uh, Secret Wars tie-in creative teams were, like, there were some hits and then there were some misses. Yeah, I feel like Costa's writing is fine. Um, but the art in this book is not, it's sort of, like, there's not much, re- yeah, it's not It's not a great art style. It's it's a bit grim. I will say that there's, there's, there's a little bit of attention put into, like, the way that clothes fit around, like, bodies and stuff, which is fine. But, but in terms of, like, making the characters look appealing or pop, or even having like clean lines or symmetrical stuff like yeah it's it's struggling a bit and the characters just don't look they don't look pleasant to look at which is a bit of a shame especially when you know as a podcast for a character who is often just sort of carried on the back of her character design especially in these earlier appearances they don't really have that yeah like uh like even some of the facial reactions when everyone was unmasked i wasn't buying it yeah, it doesn't, doesn't doesn't quite land in the art department here for for me. Uh, it's definitely probably one of the, I think the weaker offerings in terms of art that we've we've looked at for the podcast here. Yeah, but at, at least in uh, Web Warriors we got uh, David Baldi on. Yes, like which is practically a step up from Araujo. Oh, very much. Yeah, no, I look forward to that. Um, and um, yeah, I guess I guess we'll give our final opinions and talk about what we're doing next week. Yeah. Would you like to go first with your opinions? Sure. War Zones, I think I pretty much said this before, how this is practically a dysfunctional family trying to uh, sort out their differences just so they can take out this corrupt person. Well, in their defense, everyone's amnesic. They don't really know who the other is because of battle world circumstances. All they know is just their names and some brief glimpses of their past life, but all in all, yeah, like, yeah, when they try to fight, yeah, they're pretty much muddled together. But, you know, in the end, like, when Peter is essentially the glue that makes them all come to... Like, I'm thinking, I'm calling him the Coulson of the Web Warriors, except he doesn't die. He's just the one who has to bring them properly together in order to function as a proper spider team. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, no, I, I uh, yeah, I enjoyed this uh, miniseries. It, it does feel like a bit of a like a preamble to the Web Warriors comic. Um, and it's like a head start to it, really. And yeah, it does a good job, I think, of characterizing a good good chunk of the team here. Um, I think a couple of them maybe we could have done with a bit more, like uh, Spider Girl and Spider Noir, maybe. Uh, but but overall, I really uh, I really enjoy this team. Um, I really enjoy Gwen's role in it, particularly uh, Gwen here. I think is written quite fun, quite well. And uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to more Web Warriors um, and such within uh, its own sort of self-contained uh, context as well. I'm looking forward to the Web Warriors too, since now 
it's implied that they're more cohesive now and then you know they got mayday into the mix yes yeah we get to see them grow and that's quite exciting like a lot of this i think here is sort of setting up this team for greater things further down the line and everyone said that they've all been pretty much solo acts until that they had to come together to overthrow norman pretty much i mean outside of like the original spider-verse comic of course well, except for Billy and Anya, they're the only ones who've worked together together, but everyone else was just solo. Yeah, there is that. Um, okay. So, yeah, that's been Spider-Verse colon Warzones. Yeah, I think it's uh, time to give the spiel. Yes. Okay, great stuff. So next week we are continuing, uh, I say next week, uh, I guess I guess we should sort of state that we're, we're sort of moving to more of a fortnightly release at the moment. Um, we're pacing ourselves a bit before we were we were doing a weekly release with these um, and that was quite high output and it was sort of because we were anticipating that maybe a new comic could come along for Gwen and we wanted to make sure that we had done her sort of full solo catalogue before that point. Now we have done her full solo catalogue and that comic has not come, which is fine. We still have plenty of other Gwen comics, but but now we're going to sort of pace our way through them. Yeah, we're essentially stalling at this point until the announcement of her new comic. Yeah, and, and like even then we still may continue doing like side reads and stuff, you know, who knows. And then there's even the Hugos next month, and which you're a member of, vote for Dog Days Are Over. Yeah, like there's the Hugos, and we'll see how that goes, and we'll see how that affects the prospects of Gwen's comic. So, um, you know, like... Uh, with all that in mind, until then, we're, we're going to continue reading through side appearances for Gwen. But it's going to be a more of a fortnightly basis um, so that we don't have to keep up a sort of like high energy, high sort of hour output uh, week in, week out. Um, so that we can take a bit more time with the episodes and, and have a bit more fun with it. Now that there definitely is no overwhelming time pressure to sort of put them out. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing. So next week, we're looking at the first arc of the Web Warriors comic. Uh, it's an ongoing uh, we're looking at numbers one to five. It's the arc called Electroverse. It's good stuff. It's got good art. It's got good writing. I will say we'll get into how they do Gwen, but she's in it a lot. And uh, we'll put the links in the description on where to get that. Uh, we'll have a bibliography for Gwen, which includes all of the stuff that we've looked at and solo stuff, uh, as well as the side reading that we're going to be looking at. Um, and a little spiel on where you'd sort of find comics like Marvel Unlimited, Comicsology, etc. Um, uh, please uh, read it before the next episode. Um, send in your thoughts. We sort of treat this as a book club uh, if we can. Um, so we can read out your opinions as we give ours. Uh, you can do that um, by following and tweeting at gsgroupies or emailing ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com. We're also in coffee now if you'd like to contribute towards the costs that... Uh, are incurred running a podcast uh, which we'd be very grateful for um so yeah uh, thank you very much i've been pax and i've been abigail yeah have a good one bye everyone bye.